Growing up, we probably all had a rather stereotypical idea of what a midlife crisis looked like, but no one prepared us for that same sort of feeling in our earlier years. A quarter-life crisis may not be immediately apparent and is brought about by a feeling of unease in all areas of life. Today, we chat to Chloe, the founder of Quarter Life, to understand why so many young adults are feeling this way. Hello and welcome to Millennial Matters, a weekly podcast brought to you by me, Laura Chambers, and me, Pepper Artis. Each episode will tackle a new topic that's got us talking. Everything from food and fashion through to relationships and money, we'll take a look into millennial life from all angles. This week, we're pleased to welcome Chloe onto the show. Chloe is the founder of Quarter Life, an early coaching business that helps young adults to get a clear direction over their lives and careers. Having featured in Forbes, The Independent, The Guardian and the BBC, we knew that we needed to speak to Chloe about her thoughts on lockdown and also her experience with coaching people through uncertainty. Thank you so much for coming to chat to us, Chloe. We are delighted to have you on. Oh no, thank you so much. I've wanted to come on for for a long time. Thank you. <laughs> well, we're glad we could finally get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're so glad we finally got here to record this one. So as we are currently all operating under very, very unusual circumstances at the moment, we're taking a moment to ask all of our guests, how are you really coping with lockdown right now? It's a good question. Um, and I think one thing that I've been asking my clients is, is actually not how you're feeling, but like how you're feeling today. Um, because I think we're going through so many different emotions um, that it's actually better to just take stock today I often ask clients like how's your internal weather what's going on inside and I think for for me um, it's this kind of seesaw between feeling really grateful um, and really content and 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 like I'm noticing more about what's going on around me swinging to feeling kind of a bit of guilt that you know I have a garden I'm able to be outside um, and then today's to, to just to just feeling like crap you know feeling really frustrated and just missing missing the old life missing my friends so it's a constant pendulum but today I'm feeling very excited to be here and just very present and very grateful oh I like that yeah that's good yeah how are you feeling today that's what we're gonna have to take on today I'm feeling a little bit stormy I have to say (laughs) (laughs) it feels like the clouds keep lifting and then I just see something on the news and I'm just like oh and then I have to put my phone down And I think, uh, yeah, I need to take my own advice and and just not look at the news quite so often because I think I've (laughs) gradually kind of crept into looking at it a bit more. It is addictive though, and this is what we all need to realise. It is totally natural to want to go and look at the news and see whether, you know, there's an amazing announcement across the front of the BBC website saying that everything is fine and we can all go back to normal. But unfortunately, we are not quite there yet. So before we get fully stuck into this subject... Chloe, can you tell us a little bit about your journey into coaching and what made you start Quarter Life? Yeah, so I've had a bit of a weird career journey, um, especially into coaching, because people usually go to coaching as their either last career or certainly not their first one. And I um, I basically went, I went to university in Nottingham, I studied philosophy. And like so many other people, I just finished uni and was like, what the hell am I going to do now? Um, and I remember it would be kind of a running joke with my housemates would be like, don't talk about the future, you know, it, it's fine, it'll all be fine. Um, but it was this real kind of question mark that I had in my head, and it was causing me a huge amount of stress and anxiety. So 
like a lot of other people, I said, right, I'll go traveling. That will sort me out. Um, it didn't. It just made me more confused. <laughs> I had a great time, um, but it made me more confused. I worked in um, equine therapy in Peru for a while, which was amazing. Um, living in the desert, but then still was like, I've got to get back sometime. What am I going to do? I came back. I sort of fell into a job um, and I just felt so unfulfilled. And essentially what happened is that I was recommended to go and see a coach. And I remember meeting this wizard of a man who basically seemed to know more about myself than I, I knew. Um, and he helped me understand what it was that I needed in my life and my career to be happy and satisfied and fulfilled. So I remember, I remember it so clearly and just leaving and having this incredible thought, um, which was every single young person needs to have access to a conversation like this. And, and really that's where it started. Um, and that was about three or four years ago. And I trained to be a coach, um, started by working a lot of, with one-to-one -one clients, which, which is the kind of majority of what I do, um, but also going into universities and doing talks and working with charities. So it's really, really variety, but it has been just one of the most incredible and the thing of coaching, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about others. And it's just the most amazing personal development journey for sure. Um, but yeah, it's been wonderful. And so in terms of the coaching that you deliver, is it life coaching or is it career coaching or is it a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both because they come hand in hand. So people come to me for, for one or the other. It's like mindset or careers, but they do come hand to hand because it's very unlikely that someone's going to come to you in terms of their career and say, I have no idea what I want to do and be absolutely happy and fine with that. You know, when you are uncertain about your future, um, it comes, it brings with it a whole load of anxiety and a whole load of stress. Um, so in order to be in order to be a good career coach, you need to also be able to deal and help people with their mindset around their careers as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think quite often I always say about you're kind of on a happiness scale where, you know, one thing has got to weigh at a different level for things to balance kind of thing. So quite often you talk about, you know, if you're not that happy in your work life, but you know, you've got amazing friendships and you've got amazing relationships externally, then sometimes you can be okay with the concept of it not being fantastic. But ultimately, you really would like for everything to be on a kind of great level playing field for a lot of that. Yeah, and I, th I think also is we put so much pressure on our careers to be the thing that makes us super happy, the thing that gives us everything. But you're so right. It's so important that, if, that you're not just um, using your career to be the be all and end all of your mental health. Um, it's super important, but it's not everything. Um, so when, when I start coaching people, we, we look at the whole of the person to make sure that every single part of themselves is being satisfied. Well, actually, you talk about that kind of satisfaction in so many elements of the work that you do. Uh, and we'll link a load of great resources that you have created um, in the show notes down below for people to go and check out. But you talk about the number of young adults who actually say they're incredibly unsatisfied with their lifestyle, which then in turn links into their working life as well. Can you tell us about some of that research that you've done? Yeah, I mean, it's the research that I've done, which I'll kind of talk about in a bit, but also just the general research. LinkedIn yeah. did, a, did a research a couple of years ago that saw that 75% of young people say they have experienced uh, or are experiencing the quarter life crisis. Um, and the top concern 
is that sort of is about finding a job. So 60% of those people um, are worried about finding the job and finding the, the right career path. And other concerns kind of include things like owning property. Um, have I traveled enough? Have I met any personal goals like running a marathon or written a, writing a book seems to be everybody's on everybody's list um, or, or big one, pressure to get married, pressure to have children. Um, interestingly, 51% of, of, of those um, people are women. So it's interesting how women are seem to be affected slightly more. I think comes down to this. Oh my God, I've got to have children if I want to have children. There's there's an undeniable window of opportunity for that to happen. So it puts even more pressure on your on your life and on your career. Um, so it's just an, an enormous enormous amount of people that are facing this. Um, and then the research that I did recently was about the kind of role of coronavirus and how that has made people question their life plan. And I was kind of expecting uh, maybe 10, 20, 30% of people to be questioning their, their, their plans because of COVID, 46%. Um, 46% of people are saying that they're questioning their careers because of COVID. And 25% of those people have said that they've either made active steps or are seriously considering changing their career. So this, wow. isn't, just, this isn't just a thing that's, um, you know, affecting a few of us. I think it's affecting a huge amount of us. I just don't think many people are really speaking about it to each other. Yeah, and I think it has been um, quite widely published that some of the issues coming about with unemployment during coronavirus is having most impact upon younger adults. So what, what sort of age group were you looking at in your studies? So the age group that I work with and the age group that I was doing the study was anyone between the ages of 18 and 34. So the quarter life crisis isn't necessarily about an age. It's more about this feeling of uncertainty and doubt that you have over the direction of, the li of your life that gets so severe and so intense that it stops you from being able to live your day-to-day -day life in the way that you would like it to. Hmm. And you mentioned about wanting young people to choose a path that makes them happy and fulfilled, but a lot of people struggle to know what that actually is. Do you think that young people haven't been taught how to work that out for themselves and, and what they really want? Or do you think there's a gap of knowledge there? Or do you think it is something that every person has to work out for themselves? I mean, there's a huge gap. It's like all through your life, it's like, do what you love, just do what makes you happy. The majority of the people that I speak to sit down and they're like, I don't know what the hell I love. What the hell <laughs> makes me happy? I don't know that. Um, so it's one thing to say, do what you love, but then it's so hard to understand what is it that makes you tick. And that's why having a coach is so great because they help you work that out. Um, and also what I, I talk about with people in their first session is I kind of explain it like you're going through school and it's like going down a river. You don't have to make any choices. Um, and it's this very sort of set path. And then you might get into higher education where you have to make maybe like one or two different choices about the kind of um, what you're studying and your modules and all that kind of stuff. And then you hit 21 or 22 and it's like, okay, now you're in the world. There's an infinite number of choices, make, make a choice. And it's just, it's complete, it's completely overwhelming for people. And so, and the other thing as well, I think the, the gap in terms of education, uh, the, I heard a great quote the other day that was, you can't be what you can't see. Um, and so as you kind of grown up, you, you've only seen maybe one or two different careers, maybe from your parents, or it's law, or it's being a doctor, because all the shows are about that. Um, but everything else seems hidden. So we have no idea what's out there. I mean, still now I'm a career coach, and you have no idea what's out there. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's so true because I am a perfect example of that exact situation that you're talking about there. Both of my parents uh, work in marketing in some form and I now work in marketing and my sister now works in marketing. And obviously marketing is incredibly broad and there's lots of avenues that you can go down, but there was no doubt about it that the reason I was kind of enticed into wanting to work in that area was because it was something that I saw. I equally think that there's a hell of a lot of privilege in the types of jobs that sometimes people actually end up getting into because of the fact that the, they are in a scenario where they are exposed to those types of jobs or equally they are exposed to conversations around those types of jobs? Yeah, so that point about privilege is so, so important to note when we're talking about careers. I work for an amazing organisation which supports disadvantaged young people in, in West London. And um, that it, it's exactly that point is that they, they come and they sit down, down with me and I'd say about 95% of them say, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a doctor or I want to be an engineer. Um, and it's again, it's that you can't be what you can't see. That's all that they've grown up seeing um, because there's some traditional careers. So if I could change, well, there's lots of things I would change about the education system. But one of the things is about opening people's eyes to opportunity and and being able to see what's out there by by bringing people in to talk about their careers, you know, in schools. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> We could do a whole other episode on that. But yeah, you're so right there. I think that there is such a sense of wanting to be like other people. I think there's kind of an element of just wanting to fit in quite often as well. And that actually ends up meaning that you potentially go down a career path that you just think is the right choice for you. And it might not be something that makes you happy or fulfilled. I think there's quite a few people and I will actually hold my hands up here and say that I used to be like this as well, up until probably only about a year ago, where I kind of believed that actually you don't have to be really happy in your job and I think that there's a balance obviously you can just you know enjoy the people so you can be happy because of that but obviously it makes your life so much better if you are happy generally with the the route that you're going on it makes quite a bit of difference now I think yeah and just on that point um is generally that point that you made generally is is fantastic because it's like we expect to feel ecstatically happy about getting up on a grey, miserable Monday morning to go into your office. It's just not going to happen every time. Um, and it's just, it's about the majority of the time. If you feel generally fulfilled and generally happy in what you do, then great. But it's not going to be 100% of the time. We're kidding ourselves if, if we think that it's going to be like that. Yeah, when I think about my own career progression or my own journey, when you say you have to see it to be it, I think what I learned from some of my earlier job roles is what... I was and wasn't suited to because not every single job that I had to start off with was something that I enjoyed but it did teach me what my particular skill sets were and what actually made me happy in a role to then be able to go on and seek jobs that were more fulfilling in the things that that I had that particular skill set in. I wish I'd had a coach because my experience at school was we we filled in a questionnaire and it was very much teachers doing the tick list. I can't remember what mine came out as, but it was the most boring, uninspiring thing I think I could have thought of. So I would have loved to have a coach to actually sit down with to say, well, maybe you're not suited to, to doing that thing, um, but maybe there's something in there that you can apply in a different way. Yeah, and I think that 
actually one of the issues that a lot of people have is that you were probably incredibly young sat there having that conversation trying to decide what it was that you should be doing for the rest of your life you know Chloe you've mentioned about when you're going through school and it's like a river it's you're pretty much spoon-fed for the majority of your schooling situation and then you go to university probably because it's a subject that you sort of enjoy, not because you actually see a very clear path on it, unless you're doing something like veterinary or becoming a doctor, of course. And it does mean that you are leaving that education system just completely confused. Now, we did an interview with Hello Grads, who you also know, um, and they are an amazing source of information for people when they leave university. And, And obviously, there is so much more information that people need to know about because obviously we are just so confused when we leave university or when you are that sort of age where you just don't really know what you should be doing. So there's probably a lot of people that are hearing you talk about a quarter life crisis and thinking, oh my goodness, that is entirely me. I I resonate with that so much. So I wondered if we could delve into that a little bit because one of your blog posts that you wrote was so great at actually just bringing in what it actually looks like to be having a quarter life crisis. You've done the four unmistakable symptoms of the quarter life crisis. Can you talk us through those? Because I think a lot of people are going to want to know whether this is them right now. It was a really funny one. Um, I Because the, the thing is, is there's so many symptoms of the quarter life crisis. So you might be having one and this might not relate to you. But I really, really, I, I spoke to a lot of my old clients and I really kind of sat back and was like, what's the thing that I hear? What are the things that I hear the most? And as I said before, you know, a quarter life crisis comes down to that feeling of uncertainty and doubt over your over the direction of your life. Um, that That's what it is. But there are some kind of symptoms of that. Um, now, the first one that I think I spoke about was being behind on a plan. So um, just I had an amazing experience about this. I went into a school and they uh, one of the exercises that I was doing was um, tell me about your life at 30. And it was so I'm in my mid 20s myself. And um, by my age, they said married with kids um, by 30, owning property, having an, having a sports car. Um, have chosen their career by 20 or 21 um, and like, you know, concealing internal sobs. But it just showed me that uh, we, we, we create this plan so early. You know, we have this plan and vision of our life. And that suddenly when things start not working out um, or uh, living up to our expectations, we suddenly start to panic. So it's that feeling of panic from being behind. Um, the second one, which you kind of touched on a little bit, is, is about option paralysis. So option paralysis is this feeling of, oh my God, there are so many options. How can I make a decision? So actually Einstein coined this phrase because he he wore the same suit his entire life because he realized that when human beings have um, too many options, they can't make any meaningful decisions. Same with um, Steve Jobs uh, and Mark Zuckerberg. They all wear the same thing because they just know that it's just a crazy waste of time to try and choose one thing from lots of different uh, options. This must be where I'm going wrong. <laughs> I have too many clothes and it's not helping me to make any meaningful choices in my life. This is clearly, I need to stop shopping. This is what it's about. <laughs> and we live in a world now where we've got something, not just about careers. I mean, just think about going to the supermarket. It's just, you can buy about 15,000 packets of noodles. 
Um, and, and the next thing uh, is this feeling that everybody else has it figured out. So talk a lot about career comparison and comparison with other people. Um, you know, social media being a positive distortion of other people's lives. So this feeling of like, I guess it's similar to the point of being left behind, but specifically everyone else is sorted and I am alone. Um, and then the final one, which is just the classic, which is just, okay, I know something that's not right, but what the hell do I want to do? It's just having this sort of block around what am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, and a bit like I said, how I had that at university, it's like you just, the future feels like a question mark. So if the age group that you had was all the way up to 33, so I'm taking it that this doesn't just happen with people coming straight out of education, but this is something that you can have that quarter life crisis whilst you're you're actually five years into a role, perhaps? Without a doubt. Um, actually, that LinkedIn survey said that the average age is 27, um, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, but it, it is, it's really, it's characterised by one of the first times in your life that you're really starting to question what you want and what you want from your, from your life and what you want from. It's quite an existential thing. So I get a lot of people sitting down and just being like, why am I here? What is the point? What's my purpose? And it's, it can bring up a whole lot of like really deep existential stuff. It's not necessarily just, um, you know, what career do I choose? It's like, what's the meaning? And that's an amazing, it's an amazing thing to work with because I learned so much um, about people and where they find fulfillment in their life and where they find meaning. It's just, it, I honestly, it's, it's such a privilege um, for me to be able to have that window into people's lives. Yeah, I can imagine. It must be uh, such an eye-opener to just help people to find out where they want to be going in life. And I think that point around everyone else has it figured out is so key to, to me and my in my life. I, I genuinely do think that it, it wasn't till about a year ago, maybe even less time than that, that I actually started to stop thinking that way. And it's interesting. I don't know what the big switch was. I changed jobs. So obviously that does make a difference. But generally, I just think my mindset massively shifted. And I used to find going on LinkedIn such a daunting situation because I'd see all of those old school friends, all those university friends, and they were, you know, getting new job titles. I think as much as it is amazing to be happy for the people that are doing well in their life, there's also an element of getting that notification saying so-and-so has got a new job title, which is a little bit nerve wracking and kind of sends you off on one. Um, but I actually ended up finding that LinkedIn was a lot more of a, powerful and um, exciting place for me than places like Facebook and stuff because actually it was positive it was about people doing things that they wanted to do and it was so enjoyable to see people that maybe started a job in law and now they're doing something completely and utterly different because they have gone through that journey of trying to work out what they want now one of the things that we've spoken about quite a bit is that fulfillment so in terms of fulfillment how do you help people to actually get to fulfillment and understanding what that actually is I think um and just is a great question a great reflection that you made is uh, and on that point is is just that um you know the average that we change careers is seven to twelve times now so if you're thinking about changing careers and you're like oh my gosh this is a, this is a, this is this big deal I was told by someone amazing that they said that then your next job isn't going to be your last job. Um, so even the one that you're going to be in next isn't going to be your last job. Um, but then to answer your question about fulfillment, 
it's it's a it's a lengthy process to kind of work out what fulfills you. Um, and I think it's really important. It's about purpose, and it's it's really important to know that number one, there's probably you're probably not going to have one overall purpose in your whole life. So what fulfills you now isn't going to be what fulfills you five years ago, what fulfills you in in, in five years time. Um, but the way that I often do it is by asking really polarizing questions. So um, what I do is I get people to look back. So this is as an exercise, get people to look back on their careers um, and all their whole life and think about all of the different parts of their life, all of the different roles that they were in, all the different parts of the role. And to think about, ask the question, why was that satisfying or why was that dissatisfying? And so for each one, you, I could actually get them to do like a timeline. And for each thing they go, okay, well, it's satisfying because of this, this and the other. So you kind of look back and see what you can get out of the data of your life. So that's the first, that's one of the first things I do. The other thing is I get them to think about really difficult questions like looking back over your life, what would you like to have achieved? Or how would you like to be remembered? Or what the most important question is, what does success look like to you? Not what success looks like to other people. What does success look like to you? Um, and, and things like that. Also questions like, when were you most proud? When were you happiest? When were you most fulfilled? And after doing all of this kind of discovery um, and self-reflection, you'll notice even very quickly that themes will, themes will come up. And you'll start to get a sense of the, the ingredients of what fulfills you. Um, and it's also knowing, again, it's not it's not going to be a specific thing. I, I had this great sort of realization that um, purpose is vague. You know, it's not like my purpose is to be a manager at a specific company in a specific industry or sector. It's like helping people fulfill their potential is an idea, an example of a purpose. Or I don't know, giving back creatively. It's vague and it's it's this overview. You can never just fulfill it. You can never tick it off the list. It's something that will always keep giving. So what's your vague statement? Like what's your vague overview of a purpose statement? And so I'm getting from that that when you're asking these primary school children or children at secondary school, where do you see yourself at 30? Then it's thinking about money, your relationship situation, what your job title is, uh, whether you've got family, whereas it's becoming a lot more nuanced as you actually go out into the world of work and you realise that things aren't quite as cookie cutter as that. Yeah, absolutely. And just um, I, I was thinking and reflecting about what are the themes that I've seen about what fulfills our generation. Um, and there's a lot of similarities. Everybody's different, but there is a lot of similarities. And it's uh, having a sense of fulfillment. So what? So giving back as well, um, having a positive impact, um, developing, uh, having a rich and variety of experiences, um, autonomy, freedom all of these different things and 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 again it's just about learning and development and, and giving back which I think is such an amazing cultural and generational shift that's happened for our generation because I think we're thinking about giving back a lot more than previous yeah I I definitely agree with that and I think there's probably a conversation that we could go off entirely about the different generational experiences that they've had in comparison I mean I know that us millennials do tend to complain about how badly we've got certain things but goodness have the generations behind us got things a little bit worse than we have so you know it's kind of all in perspective um I think that there's quite a lot to be said about that giving back 
piece. And I'm not at all in any way implying that, you know, other generations aren't like that. But I do notice with a lot of people that I know that there's a real sense of if I can't find fulfillment in the thing that pays my bills, then how can I find how can I find fulfillment in other areas of what you're doing? And it's about bringing that together and that balance that we spoke about at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's not that previous generations haven't thought about everybody wants to give back. Everybody wants fulfillment. But what's interesting is that we are thinking about that earlier. So we're thinking about that early in our careers, because you're right when you suddenly realize, oh, actually, this kind of whole money thing isn't 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 working for me. It's not giving me that sense of satisfaction. We're, we're see- I think we're seeing through that faster or possibly because we've learned from the generations before. So we have a lot to thank them for. Yeah, and I, th- I think, um, as we say, we don't want to generalise the, the generations too much, but I think we are kind of on a precipice at the minute with COVID-19 coming into the mix. It is going to be the defining thing of our generation and, and it's going to have a massive impact upon people's careers going forward. Uh, a lot of people at the moment are finding that they've been furloughed or that they have a very uncertain future because certain industries just don't have the same outlook that they did even three months ago. So I know a lot of people are questioning the whole idea around happiness and and how to bring that back into their lives again and look for a new direction. And people are really taking the time to focus on what they really do want going forwards. So what have you been noticing as part of your role in this? It's been fascinating. It's been really, really fascinating. As I said, I did that survey and 46% of people are questioning their careers and a quarter of them making active steps or seriously re-evaluating what what, what they want. And I've noticed a few few different things on kind of on a spectrum of, of of viewpoints, actually. Um, I think what's happening is that the kind of fragility of the world that we live in has been revealed. Um, and that can be incredibly scary. It's almost like this, the hamster wheel, the career ladder has been smashed and, and broken up. And we're suddenly like, all of the systems that were in place that were keeping us safe and that we were kind of hypnotized by have been sort of t- yeah, taken away from us. And so which means that we are now in a situation where so many people are either forced to question what they want to do or are just generally questioning it. Um, and so we're kind of looking back at this hamster wheel uh, and thinking, well, well, what is it? What is it that I want to do? Where where do I want to find fulfillment? And some people, it's caused them to become incredibly clear because it's like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. I know what I want to do. It's that. And so I've had a lot of people who kind of respond to this survey and say, actually, it's made me feel really grateful. It's made me feel really grateful for what I do. Um, I had, a, a, I think, a nurse reach out saying um, this kind of situation has made her realise how important her job, her role is, of course. Um, so that's 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 one end of the spectrum that I didn't really expect was going to happen. Um, and then on the other end, it's like this is making me question things and I and I don't like what I'm what my life looks like at the moment. So the other end is, oh, my God, this isn't right. You know, the happy people are having these realisations what is it that I want for my life? What does success look like to me? Um, Because those societal expectations um, are being smashed through uh, because we can see through it now. So it's like, without that, what am I? And what is it that I want? Yeah, and do you think, kind of flipping it on its head, I know we talked earlier about option paralysis and the fact that there are just so many options out there. I I think my personal observation is finding the world a lot simpler all of a sudden because suddenly a lot of those options are taken off the plate. And so 
I just wonder whether for, for some people it's actually giving them a clearer direction because suddenly they don't have the whole, the world is your oyster, you can do whatever you want, you can go travelling, you can swap jobs every week because that's, that's just not the reality now. That's so interesting that you said that. I, I, I had a, a phone call with an old client um, said exactly the same thing. And, and it made me realise that if you think about it 150 years ago, um, we only had the ability to choose a certain partner from a, like a small pool of people, a certain group of friends. We could only probably live in one or two locations. We, could, we probably just did the careers that our parents did. And then cut to, which is good for human beings, because although we're very smart creatures, we also, we can be quite simple and we like things to be simple. Um, and cut to, you know, 100 years later, or even 50 years later, suddenly we've got every possible relationship, every possible career. We can live in anywhere in the world. And, and it's all in an app from our pocket so it's this I think you're absolutely right it's like the world has been shrunk which means that it's easier for us to deal with it's like easy for us um, to cope with it will feel very incredibly frustrating for some people for some people it will seriously limit options in a very very negative way but for the person that I was speaking to they were like god pressure's off you know, because there's always this feeling, oh, I could move to Australia and have this life over there, or I could, you know, do all this kind of thing. And now it's like, well, I can only do with what I've got. Yeah. And it's actually really interesting you say that because I had, I'd never thought about it that way at all. Um, and I, I don't mind saying like, I work in uh, fintech in marketing. Um, so it's a quite niche area and working in financial technology but equally during a time like this it has made me realize how vital the industry that I work in generally is to what we're doing at the moment I mean there's so much conversation around the fact that people aren't using cash anymore they're only using cards and contactless and you know wearable technologies and things like that and that's the industry that I work in and it actually makes me feel quite proud and I don't know, I kind of fell into this industry. And actually, this situation that we're in at the moment has made me so much more interested in what I'm doing, because it's almost taken something bad to really make me grateful for what I'm doing. And I know that sounds like a really unusual thing to say, it makes me sound like I, you know, take my job for granted or whatever. But actually, it's made me so much more invested in the career path that I'm in. So I'm not actually looking elsewhere at what else is going on. And that's the first time in my career that I've been like that. And I do actually think that COVID has a massive part to play in that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and, and we are, but, and also recognizing that we are the lucky ones, you know, we are the ones that are still working. Um, and there's, but there are people out there that are really, really struggling. So there is, yeah, there's that spectrum There's a real spectrum and it's, there isn't one kind of size fits all for how people are feeling. So it's, it's incredibly interesting time. We've mentioned about that there, about the fact that there will be a lot of people who have been furloughed or who have lost their jobs due to the pandemic. And, it's caused systemic shifts to the way that the economy looks. The fact that there's such a high number of people now who are claiming um, unemployment benefits and there's a number of people that are now looking for jobs. What kind of positive advice would you look to give to those people if they're feeling anxious about their next steps or they feel that sense of uncertainty? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I was told a piece of advice. I have an incredible mentor um, and she quoted Churchill at me, uh, which I thought was brilliant. And she, and she <laughs> said, said, don't, uh, she said that he said, don't waste a good crisis. Um, and I thought that was a really enlightening um, comment because out of every crisis, 
comes something exciting change. Um, the world is going to change and it has already. Uh, and so for a job seeker, it's about preempting what that change will be um, and about working what kind of working out what kind of organizations, what kind of sectors are going to thrive. Um, and importantly, what you need to do in order to be useful for them. Uh, so that's the first thing is don't waste this opportunity and see it as an opportunity because it is. The world is going to change, but if you can kind of, if you can really preempt that, you can really, I think there's, there's, there's going to be some incredible opportunities where you could actually create some massive change and impact with your life and your career. Um, I think the second point is more of a kind of practical point, especially if you've lost your job or you're furloughed and you don't have a lot of time and you're thinking about working out what you want to do, um, is spend the time working on your network, spend the time working on meeting people. So there's an incredible statistic that is that 80% of jobs actually aren't advertised. So it means that 80% of jobs are found by em employers through the people that they know and the networks that they have. And yet most of us look for jobs by scrolling through all of these like jobs, job boards and it's soul destroying. So um, if there's a practical thing that you can be doing is focusing on growing your network, H having having a virtual coffee a week, um, do some professional stalking on LinkedIn or on websites. Um, it is the fundamental way and the most impactful way you can uh, build your career capital and build um, and bolster your, your opportunities in the future. Oh, career capital. I like that. That's what I'm going to take forward. I like that. Yeah, you're so right. I've seen an amazing and such a wonderful thing happening on LinkedIn at the moment where I have seen a number of people who are currently in jobs saying if you've been um, if you've lost your job during the pandemic and we've worked together previously or we've had some form of uh, working relationship previously then get in touch with me because I might not be able to get you a job at the place I work at but if you tell me a little bit about your story about what you're good at what opportunities you'd be looking for I can then seek out within my network because at the end of the day I am one of the fortunate ones I'm one of the ones who still has a role so I want to give back and try and help people equally on the other end of the spectrum, I've seen a number of people who have either been furloughed or have lost their jobs who are saying, why don't a couple of people who are in the same situation as me, why don't we do a weekly chat? Like you say, it might be that 10 people join and we've all lost our jobs in completely different areas, but actually it might make us think about an opportunity that could be perfect for somebody that we know about that they don't. And it's amazing how that sense of collaboration and kind of helping each other, as you say, has really come into this time. I think it's incredibly powerful. Now, obviously, there's a lot of people, as we've said, who already have a job, who are rethinking it. And I saw that you wrote um, a piece which spoke about uh, comparing your careers to others and when you're trying to think about what you want to be doing when you're changing jobs is to really reflect on those values as well now can you tell us a little bit about that because I have never been one who's good at understanding what my values actually are how I would pinpoint those and how I could not compare my values to maybe somebody else's. Yeah, it takes a lifetime, I think. That's one of the first things that I start to help people with is to spend two to three hours sitting down and really getting clear on what on what they might be. Wow. Um, and I think that 
well, I, I've kind of mentioned it's a similar point with the kind of fulfillment piece and the, and, and the purpose piece is about going back over your life. And again, looking at what satisfied has satisfied you in the past, asking yourself these big questions. And if you're somebody who has been has been furloughed, I always say to people, this is very sort of simplified, but there's two things that you need to do in order to work out what it is that you want. And it's the first is understanding yourself. Um, not just values, but interests and strengths and really reflecting. And the second is understanding what's out there. Um, and so I get a lot of people who come to me and they say, oh, I don't know what I want to do. And I say, okay, well, in 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 hours, how many, how many hours do you think you've spent specifically dedicated to working out what you want to do? And people are like, oh, well, I don't know, maybe like four or five hours. And I'm like, well, exactly. You probably spent more time doing an um, A-level essay than you have thinking about what you want to do um so I, I genuinely say okay spend some time thinking about it put yourself into a room put a piece of paper in front of you and do some proper self-reflection um which terrifies some people <laughs> um but it is asking yourself yeah. um there's three questions that I ask people when they want to start thinking about their values it's when were you happiest when were you most proud and when were you most fulfilled uh, and really understanding those questions and th- and picking out the themes. And then once you've got a better idea of your values and what strengths, what brings you energy, what what f- what fills you with um, joy and fulfillment, then it's to start thinking about what's out there. And that's the kind of you can't be what you can't see piece, which is um, meeting people, which is you know attending uh, trainings. It's just really opening yourself up to as much opportunity as possible so that you can be inspired because. The point is, is not to sit in a room and to just suddenly work out what it is that you want to do. That's basically impossible. I had a cli- one client that did that who went from teaching, teaching to landscape architecture and she just had an epiphany. Very rare, <laughs> very rarely happens. Um, but usually what happens is that you recognize it when you see it. So it's important to be able to see stuff. And so the more that you see, the more um, the more likely you're going to be able to actually have that epiphany and be like, oh, that's cool. It's a bit like me with my coach. He coached me and I was like, that's cool. I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm picking up from the conversation between you, Chloe and Pippa, that you're both massive advocates of LinkedIn. Now, (laughs) I will hold my hand up and say that at certain points in my life, either when I was facing redundancy or when I felt a little bit uncertain or unsettled in the job I had, I would go on to LinkedIn and I'd be on it every day. And then once I got into my job role, I then haven't been in it again for about two years apart from when I got an invitation from someone and and just had to look at what it was. So if someone is going through a quarter life crisis and and indeed at any point in their career to to get some direction to it and to, to make sure that they're not comparing and thinking the grass is always greener what resources should people be using yeah so I think um LinkedIn is is unbelievable and the reason why it's so good is because it's much less saturated um than other kind of social media platforms and so probably in about five ten years it will be um it will be similar to kind of Instagram and Facebook, but at the moment you can have so much engagement on like a little bit of work. Um, and also it's just that professional stalking. It's like a, a field, a playground for professional stalking. So if you're somebody who, you know, wants to learn more about criminology or psychology, you can just find that person and go out and speak to them. Um, obviously, as you kind of mentioned, there, there is this tendency to compare ourselves to other people. And, you know, when you get that notification of all this kind of, oh, they've got a, a promotion or anything like that. 
And I think that there's a few a few ways to overcome that sort of comparison. The first is knowing what your values are. So um, understanding what's important to you. And so when the, you hear somebody doing an amazing, my thing is documentary filmmaking. If somebody is doing a documentary filmmaking, I'm like, damn, that sounds amazing. But then I reflect <laughs> back on what's important to me. And I'm like, no, wait. I know what's important to me. I know that that actually would probably wouldn't suit me. The other thing is so cliche, but the grass is always greener. So the person who's traveling around the world and, and filming giraffes in Africa, um, doing their, their documentaries, they'll probably miss home a lot. And I know that, you know, my home life is incredibly important. So there's always negatives, but we will only ever see the, see the positives of other people's careers. So making sure that you're always reminding yourself of what's good in your life and what's good in your career. Um, and it just nothing to do with them, you know? Uh, there's, a, there's a great quote, it's one of my, from, from one of my favorite books and it's called uh, Tuesdays with Maury. He said, if a culture doesn't work for you, don't buy it. So if a culture or a society or what people are telling you you should be doing isn't working for you, just let it go, make, make up your own rules. You can actually do that. And I think when you truly grasp that, genuinely, truly grasp that and start, start living to the beat of your own drum and start living to your values, that's fundamentally just freedom. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm going to definitely have to go away and do a kind of value session on myself. I, I did um, pick a word for the year at the beginning of the year. And I feel like COVID-19, just like our 2020 planners, have just gone very much out the window right now. Um, so obviously, we've spoken a lot about um, careers here at the moment. And I recognize that a big part of your role helping people with their quarter life crisis uh, is around kind of finding that fulfilling job and, and finding a career path that suits them. But obviously, quarter life crisis, as we've mentioned, relates to so many different things in terms of that timeline that you're hoping to work towards and, you know, all of the other areas in your personal life as well. And one thing that I've definitely noticed um, in the last few years, and I think potentially because I surround myself with people who have similar opinions to me, is that the conversation around people's struggles with things like a quarter life crisis is sort of opening up and people are realizing that actually, okay, I can't just follow in my parents' footsteps. I actually do need to really put some thought into this and really try and work out what it is I want to be doing. But do you feel like in the few years that you've been doing your role that that conversation is opening up? and Or do you think that people feel uncomfortable about recognizing that they actually are on the verge of one of these crises? Yeah, so I think people talk about the quarter life crisis in sort of the same way they talk about their mental health. So it's definitely something that we are opening up to and that we are talking about more. Um, but the, the, I think the key, one of the key blockers is, is comparison. So I think that people don't want to talk about their quarter life crisis because they're so afraid of being seen as, as behind or, even in front of their peers. Um, and so when comparison is like a really big part of something like the quarter life crisis, um, that's when it, it starts to become even more difficult to bring it up. So from my experience, people seem to be more open to get, getting help from a professional than they are um, in terms of sharing their difficulties with, with their peers because of this comparison, um, which is kind of just accumulating the problem because it just means that there's more positive distortion about 
what how everyone's doing you know and um, because nobody's talking about their sort of crisis or no one's talking about the fact that their career's not going the right way or the way that they want it to we think that everybody else has got it sorted out and that we are fundamentally alone i get a lot of people that come to me and that say you know i've never been able to, i've never spoken to anyone about this interestingly a lot of men who i speak to um especially because there seems to be even more stress about keeping up with everybody else around them which is really sad so so they seem to be with me they say you know I've actually not, not spoken about this before which is so heartbreaking to think that there are people out there that are experiencing this that think it's not normal like this is normal and this is not just endemic of this time it's been going on for a hundred hundreds of years we've it's always been difficult to work out what you want to do in your 20s so you mentioned mental health there as being quite interlinked with a quarter life crisis Obviously, last week was Mental Health Awareness Week. So mm. with the theme this year, focusing on kindness, whether that's kindness to others or kindness to ourselves, how do you think people could be kinder to themselves during this time and not put too much pressure on themselves? Yeah, it's a great question. And mental health and the quarter life crisis are so linked. You know, either mental health challenges are a symptom of the quarter life crisis or because of underlying challenges, it causes you to ruminate, which causes you to question things even more. Um, so it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um and I think in terms of kindness, it, it goes back to the idea that we're all on different paths. Um, life, there isn't this linear step-by-step -step process um, that's going to take you from being a grad to being a CEO. That's just not how careers look like anymore. Um, it's wiggly and it's topsy-turvy um, and everybody's journey is different you know um, and I think when we accept that fully and just live again you know live by the beat of your own drum and really really focus on you and your values then that's that's all that you need um, so being kind and, and allowing and accepting who you are and accepting yourself um, so that you don't spend spend your time kind of thinking more about others in terms of their careers than uh, than, than your own well, Chloe, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this. I don't know about you, Pippa, but I feel like I've had a proper coaching session here. Uh -huh. Yeah, I do. I feel like I've had a life coaching session and I'm, you know, feeling positive about my future and, you know, the grass isn't always greener. <laughs> Pippa's taking away homework to think about her yeah. strategy going forwards. Yeah. So, so yeah, thank you so much, Chloe. It's been wonderful to have you on. I've taken so much away from this and I hope our listeners do as well. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for having me. So before we leave, can you tell us about anything that you've got coming up or where we should find you or what we should look out for? Yeah, I mean, in terms of what's coming up, like most people, not much is going on. <laughs> <laughs> but I am trying to help out as much as I can with the COVID situation. So I'm offering um, a free session to people who've been affected by it. Um, subject to demand, I put this out a few days ago and there's been a lot of demand. Um, <laughs> but, but feel free to, to contact me. I think you'll put my email or something on yeah. um, the section. And and just I'm on LinkedIn as Chloe Garland and on Instagram as Quarter Life Coaching. So try, I often try and put things on there that is are helpful and that help people get through and that share stories so that people don't feel alone. So thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with us, then please do. We would love to speak to you. You can find us on Twitter at the MMPod and you can email us themmpod at gmail.com and you can also find us on Instagram, which is at Millennial Matters Podcast.
podcast. And also, if you want to find out about any of our previous episodes, then please go over to our website, www.themmpod.com. Thanks for listening.